Well, this is session 38 of our synchronized study in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's part two of something we started talking about last time, and it's about how God sees our prayers. Now, my goal is to release a new 30-minute podcast once a week on Fridays, but since I didn't release one last Friday, I thought I'd go ahead and make this one an hour so you'd get a 30-minute podcast for this week and make up for last week. In session 37, we covered Luke chapter 10, verse 38, all the way to Luke chapter 11, verse 13. All of that turned out to be how God views prayer. But folks, I have to be honest with you, I wasn't completely satisfied with the last week's study. I mean, I'm satisfied with the content, and yet it seemed so incomplete. There was so much more that I wanted to say. I've got notes from years of, of several different pastors and studies and Bible verses that address specifically what prayer is how we're to speak, and most importantly, how we're supposed to listen to God. And listening to God, that's that's the most important part of prayer. But we can't even get that far because there's so much disinformation in Christian circles about prayer itself, about how we're supposed to pray, how we're supposed to talk to God, what a prayer sounds like. So many Christians out there, all they do is recite poetry, or worse, they speak an unknown Klingon alien language that they think is praying in the Spirit. There is such thing, folks, as speaking in tongues, so I'm not saying that that's not a true spiritual gift. But praying in the Spirit has got nothing to do with speaking in tongues. That's not what the Bible talks about when it says praying in the Spirit. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, focused primarily on listening. Chapter 11, focused primarily on speaking. Now, in chapter 10, verse 38, let's just go ahead and go over that again. It says, while they were on their way, it occurred that Jesus entered a certain village and a woman named Martha received and welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. But Martha, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving. And she came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha was serving the Lord, folks, but she was doing it in a way that most Christians do today. They get involved with all types of religious activities, church functions, charities. I used to be a Martha. And before you know it, your days are full. You're running around like a chicken with your head cut off and all in the name of serving the Lord. And that's not what Jesus wants primarily. I mean, what good is it if you can't hear what he's saying? If you're in the kitchen where all the pots and pans are and there's all this noise going on, and if you're serving the Lord with all of this much serving, you can't hear Jesus speaking anymore. Verse 41, But the Lord replied to her by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. There is need of only one or but a few things. Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. What is it that Mary's chosen, folks? Jesus was teaching and Mary wanted to make sure that she heard everything he had to say. She wasn't satisfied with highlights or bullet points from anybody else who was taking notes that she could pick it up later. She was at his feet, listening to every word come out of his mouth. Meanwhile, Martha is in the kitchen. She can't possibly hear anything because there's all the noise of the kitchen and She's distracted by all the things she's trying to do. Now, granted, she's serving the Lord. She's trying to make this nice, delicious meal for him, make it a big deal. But she's not listening to anything Jesus is saying. She can't. She couldn't possibly be. 
Listen to this excerpt from one of David's prayers recorded in Psalm 138. This is the last half of verse 2. He says, this is David talking to God in the middle of prayer. He says, you have exalted above all else your name and your word. And you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I called, you answered me and you strengthened me with strength in my inner self. How is he strengthened, folks? By God's word. Jesus was speaking. Mary had to listen to it. She needed inner strength. Verse 6 of this same prayer, David says, For though the Lord is high, yet has he respect to the lowly, bringing them into fellowship with him. The proud and haughty he knows only from a distance. Listen to this other prayer of David. The very next one, Psalm 139 says, Lord, you have searched me thoroughly and have known me. You know my downsitting and my uprising. You understand my thought afar off. You sift and search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue still unuttered, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have beset me and shut me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Your infinite knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high above me. I cannot reach it. Where could I go from your spirit, or where could I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the place of the dead, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the night shall be the only light about me, even the darkness hides nothing from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will confess and praise you, for you are fearful and wonderful, and for the awful wonder of my birth. Wonderful are your works, and that my inner self knows right well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being formed in secret and intricately and curiously wrought as if embroidered with various colors in the depths of the earth, a region of darkness and mystery. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book all the days of my life were written before ever they took shape, when as yet there was none of them. How precious and weighty also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, they would be more in number than the sand." When I awoke, could I count to the end, I would still be with you. Folks, I believe this is the spirit of Mary's heart when she was at Jesus' feet listening to every single thing he had to say. Prayer is the bearing of your soul to a loving God who knows your whole soul and understands your whole soul. One of God's titles is our comforter. Another one of his titles is our mighty counselor. Well, those are titles that imply a two-way relationship. You can't have a two-way relationship without speaking to God and without listening to God. And God can't be a comforter without comforting someone. He can't be a mighty counselor unless someone is being counseled. Prayer is an open, honest, naked relationship with the Lord. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and look at verse 13 to 16. It says, Not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight. All things are open and exposed, naked and defenseless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Inasmuch then as we have a great high priest, one who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us then hold fast our confession of faith in him, 
For we don't have a high priest who is unable to understand or sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and liabilities to the assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are yet without sinning. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming conveniently just when we need it. What that's saying, folks, is that whatever you're going through, whatever emotion you're feeling, Jesus has been there and knows what it feels like. Now, he hasn't sinned, but he perfectly understands exactly where you are, no matter where you are. Somebody might say, well, he doesn't know what it feels like to feel the guilt and shame of everything I've done. Yes, he does, because he bore every bit of it on the cross. He knows what guilt feels like. He knows what shame feels like. He knows everything we're going through. And if we're saved, if we're Christians, if we've been bought and purchased, and if we're adopted into the family, he knows it all anyway. You might as well just let it all hang out and go to him and speak to him about whatever it is that's on your mind without worrying about how it's going to sound. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 says that the Holy Spirit comes to our aid and bears us up in our weakness because we don't know what prayer to offer nor how to offer it worthily as we ought to. See, this is the Bible saying, we, God already knows that you don't know how to pray. God already knows that you don't exactly know how to speak and you don't know what to say. You can't convey the emotions accurately. The pain is too intense. The problem is too complex. You don't know how to explain this. So verse 26 says, The Spirit himself goes to meet our supplication and pleads in our behalf with unspeakable yearnings and groanings too deep for utterance. Unfortunately, people have twisted that and they think it's talking about praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. That's not what this says because it's the Holy Spirit doing the talking and this says it's too deep for utterance. Groanings and yearnings too deep for utterance means you cannot make this noise. There's no way it would take the Spirit of God to make this noise. You can't make it and it cannot be heard by human ears because it's not human beings that's being talked to. It's God who's being talked to. You're saved. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You're struggling to come up with a phrase that accurately communicates what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're trying to say, what you're trying to express. The Holy Spirit reads your heart, reads your mind, knows exactly what you're trying to say. And he takes that, goes right into the presence of God the Father and tells him everything that you're trying to say with words and phrases that you would use yourself if you had the mind and the intelligence of God the Holy Spirit. Now talk about having somebody on your side while you're trying to pray. What takes you a minute to say, one little short paragraph, the Holy Spirit might spend a day expressing every ounce of grief and emotion and pain and longing because God is outside time. He's not saying, hurry up, I don't have time for this, i got to get to the next person. He's outside time. So if the Holy Spirit wants to translate one of your five-minute prayers into a three-hour discussion with God the Father on your behalf, they've got all the time, infinity, to do so. And according to this right here, it's what it says. It says, he who searches the hearts of men, that's verse 27 right after this, he who searches the hearts of men knows what is in the mind of the Holy Spirit and what his intent is. Because the Spirit intercedes and pleads before God in behalf of the saints according to and in harmony with God's will. 
Folks, you cannot lose praying. That's why Mary's just at Jesus's feet. She's not even saying anything. She knows that he knows everything that's on her heart. She's more interested in listening to what he has to say. Prayer is lying at Jesus' feet. And that's exactly what Mary was doing, except in her case, Jesus was physically there so she could physically lay at his feet. Anyway, let's go on. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, Then he was praying in a certain place, and when he stopped, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, food for the morrow, and forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And allow us not into temptation, but rescue us from evil. Now, folks, I said this in the last session. This is not meant to be recited over and over. It is a template. He was just giving this guy an example of what prayer sounds like. This is a template prayer, not to be recited over and over, because Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8, not to heap up phrases, repeating them over and over again. That's something that Jesus attributed to paganism and heathenism because it's like you're chanting magic words. So you can get the response that you want, the the result or the power that you want from addressing this deity with these magic spells or whatever. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is a living conversation with God who is presently listening while you're talking. You're speaking to him and you're listening to him. Now, we'll get more into the listening part in a little bit, but here, Jesus addresses our speaking in prayer with this example. And notice what's the very first thing before anything else is mentioned. The very first thing, he says, thy kingdom come. Why is that first, folks? Why is that even in there? Because I thought that was set in stone. Why is that even in there? And if it's in there, why is it first? Why is it the most important? Because if God answered that part of your prayer the moment you asked for it, folks, you wouldn't have to pray for anything else. Look at the rest of this template. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that'll happen when God's kingdom comes. Because at that point, heaven and earth will become one. There will no longer be a divide between heaven and earth, natural and supernatural. It'll all be put back together. Give us this day our daily bread. You'll never have to ask that again after the kingdom comes, ever. Forgive us of our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. If God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven, nobody's going to have to ask anybody for forgiveness. Nobody's going to be sinning against anyone because all previous sins are nailed to the cross and we're all going to be in new bodies, new hardware that will not be inflicted with the sin virus. Next verse, allow us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We won't have to ask for that because the tempter himself, Satan, will be bound in chains when the kingdom comes. Satan in chains, we're sinless in sinless bodies. The sin of our old flesh is nailed to the cross. Jesus is where he belongs on David's throne in Jerusalem, Israel. He's the supplier of all our needs, the ruler of the whole world and universe. Folks, I mean, if if God answered all that, you don't have to pray anything else. Unfortunately, most Christians today don't think about Jesus bringing the kingdom They think they're supposed to bring in the kingdom themselves through cultural movements, elections, religious movements, spreading the gospel. Now, folks, spreading the gospel is great. That's what Jesus told us to do. But, folks, spreading the gospel does not bring in the kingdom. 
Spreading the gospel gives people the information that they need to get saved from Satan's kingdom and adopted into God's family so we can all be joint heirs with Jesus when the kingdom comes. Jesus brings in the kingdom, not us Christians. And according to Jesus in Matthew 24, only God the Father knows when that will happen. But exampled in this template prayer, Jesus assumes that if we really know we're talking to the Father, if we really know that we have his attention and that he's listening to us, then why wouldn't the kingdom be the first thing we ask for? And even though the timing of that is beyond our knowledge, Jesus shows us that we ought to be asking for it because it honors God. Remember, Jesus said, don't heap up for yourselves treasures on the earth where death and decay corrupt and evil breaks through and steals. Instead, heap up for yourselves treasures in heaven where death and decay do not corrupt and evil cannot break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's the target of our heart? Where is our heart focused? If it's on heaven, then why wouldn't we want heaven on the earth where it was meant to be, with God and man ruling over the creation side by side, as God originally intended? That's why Jesus would have us thinking about that first before we go forward with the rest of our prayer, because that sets the stage, that sets the focus of our heart. As far as we're concerned, God is our Father, Jesus is our King, we're members of a royal family by spiritual birth, temporarily occupying enemy territory. Earth is Satan's kingdom, but we're members of God's kingdom. So why wouldn't our greatest longing be for God's kingdom to come and God's will be done on earth just as it is in heaven? Once we get our focus right, then we can ask for daily needs, ask him questions, stuff like that. Then after Jesus gave this prayer template, he said in verse 5, he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and will say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine who is on a journey has just come, and I have nothing to put before him. And he from within will answer, Don't disturb me, the door is now closed, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and supply you with anything. Jesus said, I tell you, although he will not get up and supply him anything, even though he's his friend, because of his shameless persistence and insistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and keep on asking, and it shall be given you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door shall be opened to you. Now, Jesus said all of this in the Sermon on the Mount. He's repeating it here for these new disciples. Jesus says, for everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives, and he who seeks and keeps on seeking will find. And to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door shall be opened. What father among you, if his son asked for a loaf of bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, well, instead of a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he asked for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, evil as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your heavenly father give to those who ask and continue to ask him. And in this context here, he means ask of the Holy Spirit. Because right here, he's talking about asking for the Holy Spirit because that comes in the book of Acts. We talked about that in our last session. In Matthew's version of this, he didn't bring up the Holy Spirit. He's specifically talking about asking God for whatever it is we're asking. Folks, 
Jesus really put himself in a corner here. If God was somewhat lax in answering prayer, he would have been better off by leaving this out of the Bible. God could have just written, I'm God, you're my servant, obey me, the end. And he would have every justifiable right for doing that, but he didn't do that. If God didn't want to answer our prayers, he could have kept us a lot more faithful just by saying, well, I don't answer prayers as much as you'd like. You know, maybe I'll listen. Maybe I'll answer there. No, he puts himself on the line twice, once in Matthew from the Sermon on the Mount, and then here again later in Luke. It's almost like a blank check that he's given us. Ask me anything. And if you don't get it, keep asking, keep knocking, keep banging away at the door. What does that mean, folks? Keep praying is what Jesus is saying. Don't ask God for something and say, oh, well, God didn't get it for me. I'll get it for myself. Don't do that. Keep talking to God about it. Because one of the things God's going to do is he's going to either prepare you for what it is you're asking for, or he's going to explain to you why you're better off not having it just yet. But you won't, you're not going to find out either one if you just pray once, get disappointed, and just run off and do your own thing. So we can clearly see from all of these passages that prayer is not a magic incantation. It's not poetry to be recited over and over. It is a living, live, actual dialogue between us and God about the kingdom, about heaven, about our future, about our present needs. It's a intimate relationship that God wants us to be involved in with him, bringing our needs and desires to him. And he never gets tired of us repeating those requests. If it was, you know, we'd have a verse here that says, look, ask him two or three times and then get over it. No, that's not what it says. Keep on asking. You don't know what God's up to. Now, if God clearly says no while you're praying, and there's several things he could do to show you that, that's different. But don't misinterpret what God's doing in your life. He's probably getting you ready for the answer, getting somebody else ready. Or he's trying to explain to you why you're better off doing something else. God is at work when you're continuing to pray. And repeating these requests, God doesn't get tired of it. It acknowledges that you recognize God as the source for your need and only he can fill it. That honors God. He loves that. Not all needs are physical. Some needs are inner needs, emotional needs, psychological needs. And we can't get any of those needs met without engaging in a one-on-one -on -one private conversation with our comforter, our mighty counselor our Father. And that's what prayer is. It's both speaking to God and listening to God. God loves our prayers because they honor Him, and it's one of the key ingredients to our spiritual growth. You can't grow spiritually without a prayer life. You just can't. You can't even accomplish godly goals without a prayer life. I mentioned this last time when my prayer life suffers. This ministry suffers. And it's happened before. It's like my brain just runs out of gas my heart just didn't end to the project, whatever it is. But worse than that, when my prayer life suffers, it's like some supernatural force field around my brain. It just gets shut off. It's deactivated, and Satan begins pouring all kinds of garbage into my head, and I start fearing things that I wasn't fearing before. I start longing for things that I never longed for while I was praying. That's why if you're a Christian, every morning when we wake up, we should start talking to God, immediately taking our thoughts captive and talking to God about them all throughout the day. And one of the last things we ought to do before going to bed at night is talking to God. 
First Thessalonians verse, let's see, what is it? Yeah, chapter 5 verse 17 says that we should pray without ceasing. Be unceasing in prayer, praying perseveringly. Now, that doesn't mean spending all day on your knees. It just means that in your heart, you're always speaking. You're always listening to God. Prayer is what keeps our mind and our heart connected to God. It's through prayer that God reveals himself to us in our heart. He also does it through circumstances after we've read passages in the scripture. I'll never forget. I've shared this before, but just in case people are just tuning into this. I happened to run across that verse where Jesus said, Not a single sparrow falls to the ground without the Father's consent. The day I read that verse, a little sparrow stunned himself flying into the window at where I worked. He laid there on the ground for a while, not, you know, shook it off, and then he flew away. And I just remember thinking, what a coincidence that this would happen on the day that I read that verse. God, what's the significance? God didn't say anything. Then later that day, I went to a restaurant. It happened again. And I remember thinking, well, this is twice in one day. What's going on? And then right at that moment, somebody walked into the restaurant that if I hadn't prayed, if I hadn't read those verses, if I hadn't been talking to God, it would have completely freaked me out to see that person walk into the restaurant. But because of the scripture I read that morning, because of the two incidents with birds, and I, I, I got the connection that was God reminding me, I'm in charge. Nothing happens by accident. I'm in charge. I'm control in control of everything. That was God's way of saying, I knew this guy was coming into the restaurant. I'm in charge. I'm in control. It's all right. And I responded to that incident in a way that I know I wouldn't have if I hadn't been praying. So he manipulates our circumstances. He allows us to see what he's doing in our life when we're praying. He, he, you know, he speaks to our heart through our circumstances, through the word of God. Prayer is also how God includes us in what he's doing in people's lives. Don't measure the importance of your prayer by comparing it with someone else's quote-unquote more important request. Instead, compare it to the attention span of the one whom you're praying to. No God who numbers the hairs of your head and puts all your tears in a bottle would ever think that anything you have to say or ask for is unimportant. Prayer is how God includes us in his work in people's lives. God shows us someone with a need, and then he inspires us to pray for them so that we'll recognize his hand in their lives after we've prayed for them. Prayer also keeps us spiritually grounded so that we're feeling and thinking about things the way God would have us feel and think about them. Let me give you an example. Just last weekend, I was with someone. We went to the grocery store, and we were getting our groceries. We finished, and, you know, you're having to deal with a rat race of population. There's people everywhere. Nobody wants to be there. Everybody wants to get what they need and get home. And we get to this particular clerk who was, you know, scanning all of our groceries. And um, I don't want to say she was elderly, but she was approaching elderly. And um, she didn't really make any eye contact with us. She didn't have much to say. And uh, we continued to try to just, you know, hey, how's it going? There was just not much conversation there at all. And uh, she was busy doing her work and so on and so forth. And when it was all over with, uh, this other person and myself, we went to the car and uh, we just ridiculed that poor woman up and down. We talked about, you know, man, customer service. You're supposed to be in there talking to people, not representing the store very well. You know, couldn't get three words out of her the whole time we were there. And we just went on and on and on. 
And you know what, folks? Right in the middle of us doing that, all of a sudden, it's like God convicted my heart, and all of a sudden, I was just ashamed of myself. I thought, you know, here we are in this air-conditioned car. We're going home. The back of it is fat with groceries. We're going to sit in an air-conditioned home, watch who knows how much television. Meanwhile, this poor old woman is still in the grocery store checking people out. There's no telling how long she was there before we got there. There's no telling how long she has to stay there before her shift is over. And we don't even know why she has that job. We don't know what her home life is like. We don't know anything about her. And then I thought, you know, what we really need to be doing is praying for her. I mean, my gosh, we, we got it made. We need to be praying for that woman. We need to be thinking about how we can maybe make her day a little easier. And then it just occurred to me, I wonder what the world would be like. I wonder what our lives would be like if we spent all our time praying for the people that irritate us rather than griping about them. What would our lives be like? What would the world be like if we thought to pray for all the people we run into daily instead of griping about them? Remember that movie, Pay It Forward? How about Pray It Forward? We don't have any idea of how much good there is in our own life because of somebody else's prayer. We don't know that. There isn't a single human being in all the world you can't touch through prayer. Folks, I've prayed for individual celebrities before because the world loves them and worships them. And then after a while, they spit them out and they don't just retire them. They spit them out with shame and disgust. They become the butt of jokes on all the talk shows, embarrassing stories and pictures in smut magazines, YouTube videos. I'd hate to be a Hollywood celebrity because it's like being in middle school and high school forever on a worldwide scale. You see how that works? See, God uses prayer to keep us connected to him and the way he looks at things. See, the way we look at things is, you know, Hollywood celebrity, that's a different class of people. They're millionaires. They're rich and famous. They're beautiful. Everybody loves them. They don't need God. They don't need anything. But God looks at them completely different. And when you're praying to God daily throughout the day, he's the one that puts those ideas into your heart. So you know what? I know everybody says this, that, and the other, but that particular actor right there, he's in big trouble. And he's smiling in front of the camera. And everybody thinks he's great. But at night, he cries every night. He cries himself to sleep every night. I'm trying to work in his life, and I want you to pray for him. Don't ridicule him. Pray for him. That's how God keeps us connected to him. And folks, that's how God glorifies himself as he meets people's needs. Your needs, the needs of others. There isn't anyone in existence or any place in existence that you can't touch or impact with your life by praying to the Lord who knows it all, controls it all, who made it all. Folks, God knows exactly the number of times an electron I'm going to show off my geeky side here. God knows exactly the number of times that an electron has orbited around the nucleus of any individual atom since its creation anywhere in the universe. Because he's the one who's controlling it all, maintaining it all. Jesus said, not a single sparrow falls to the ground without the Father's consent. We talked about that earlier. Well, if God is that involved in atoms and sparrows, then there can't possibly be any such thing as a small prayer to God or a meaningless prayer to God or a wasted prayer to God. There's no such thing. And when we look at what Jesus said here in Luke chapter 11, 9 to 13, Jesus wouldn't say all of that stuff if he didn't mean it. 
Now, there's some ways of thinking that Satan will embed into our mind to keep us from praying. One of those things is, well, if God controls everything and knows everything, then why do I need to pray? Well, it's not because God needs you to be his informant, so don't think of prayer as you informing God. Prayer is you honoring God as the source of your need or someone else's need. He loves that. And because of your prayer, he gets to show you how he works in your life and in others' lives. Another thing that Satan puts in our mind to stop us from praying is this whole idea of God's will being infinite and immovable. So why pray? If God's predetermined everything from outside time, which he has, then why pray? I mean, what influence could our prayers possibly have against a plan that was written before time began, before the foundation of the world? God's in absolute control. His will is immovable. It's all been predetermined. So why pray? Well, here's the flaw in that logic, folks. How do you know that what God's predetermined from outside time isn't the result of things that have taken place inside time. God hears all of our prayers in the same dimension of infinity that he predetermines everything. I'll give you an example. When did you get saved? It wasn't until after you prayed for it. Yeah, but Paul teaches we were chosen and predestined before the foundation of the world. That's right, we were. But not until after we prayed for it. See, that phrase before the foundation of the world only applies to us, folks, because we live inside time. For us, there is a present, there is a future, and there is a past. And if you go far back into the past, there is a moment in time, as far as we know, that was before the foundation of the world. But God's not stuck anywhere on a timeline. God isn't stuck in a time domain. He's not stuck in 2014, hearing my prayer from 2014 and saying, well... I'd like to answer that prayer, but back before the foundation of the world, I already predestined you for something else. Can you imagine if people were going to hell because they were predestined for hell? There's actually some people who teach that, folks. It's not biblical. That's not the way it works. You know why? Because the prayer I pray in 2014, God heard it before the foundation of the world. Because God inhabits eternity. He fills up all time simultaneously. And I've seen this in my own life. I started praying for something really big around 2010. Something that was so big that I knew God would have to get me prepared for it before he could answer that prayer. Well, a couple of years went by and he had altered a few things in my attitudes and ways of thinking. So I was confident that he was answering my prayer. But then another couple of years went by. And so I asked him, Lord, did I have any business asking you for that? I mean, it looks like you've been getting me ready for it, building up my maturity, giving me new perspectives on things. You've been fixing my attitude on some things in the past few years as though you're getting me ready to receive what I asked for. But is that what's really happening or is that just my imagination? And then right after I asked God that, folks, it's like the Lord reached into my brain and flipped through my memory files and in the span of about two minutes, he showed me all the little things that he's embedded into my character since I was five years old, getting me ready for what I was asking for in 2010. And I said, God, it's almost as if back in 1979, you knew back then about the prayer I was going to pray in 2010. And it's like God said, yeah, it's kind of like that, isn't it, Josh? 
So don't let Satan trip you up over God's predetermined will making it useless to pray because, folks, you don't know what God's going to do. And for all you know, the prayer you're wanting to pray could be part of God's predetermined will. And even if what we're asking for or wanting to ask for doesn't line up with his will, the more we ask for it in prayer, the more God will slowly begin to give us clearer vision about what we're asking for. Our thoughts will become agreeable to his will, and then not only will we stop asking for it, but we'll thank God for protecting us and giving us wisdom and understanding and not leaving us in the dark. You won't ever be left holding the bag waiting on God. God will either make you ready for what you're asking for and then give it to you in his timing, though. I mean, I'm praying for stuff that I've been waiting for years, but he's been showing me all along. He's getting me ready. So it's in his timing. So he'll either give it to you in his timing as he gets you ready, or he will explain to you why you don't really want what you think you want. But that part requires listening to God, not just speaking. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. Now, if you'll remember when Jesus taught the 12 how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet or your most private room and closing the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So there's two kinds of praying. We pray without ceasing, which means we talk and listen to God all throughout the day from the moment we wake up till the moment we close our eyes at night. But then we have this other kind of praying, which is private, intimate, away from everybody else and everything. There are several places in Scripture that talk about devoting ourselves to prayer. In other words, making this time alone with the Father a priority in our life. Now, this leads to other things that Satan does to keep us from praying. He can cause our mind to wander. He'll get the phone to ringing because he knows we'll answer it, or the sound of an email alert or a text message some noise outside to make you go investigate it. All of this is why we have to make our alone time with God a priority. Because if we don't, Satan will make sure that we never pray. And that's just how it is. If we don't make it a priority, Satan will make sure we never pray. So setting aside a specific time for prayer means, okay, God is more important than the phone, so I'm going to turn the phone off. God is more important than email, so... I'm going to turn off the computer. I'm going to turn off the cell phone. I'm going to turn off the messenger. I'm going to turn off the TV. And folks, be alert about the fact that Satan doesn't want you praying. Just remember that he's out there somewhere doing everything he can to keep you from praying. So be vigilant about it. Be persistent. Know that those obstructions are there. Fight your way through them to set aside this time to get where you need to get. To keep your mind from wandering, pray out loud. That's what I do. Not so God can hear, but so you can hear yourself talking to God. Prayer is engaging in spiritual warfare. That's why the last thing mentioned in the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 18. Pray at all times in the spirit and keep alert with strong purpose and perseverance. You got to put on the armor of God, especially to pray, folks, because Satan will do anything he can to keep you from praying. So what can you do to keep Satan from hindering or hurting your prayer life. There are some things you can do. Set aside a definite time, because if you don't, it's just it's just human nature, folks. You won't pray. Setting a definite time and sticking to it will put you into the habit of remembering to do this because it's a priority. If you don't do that, you're just going to, you know, Satan's going to keep you busy. You're just not going to have time. 
Now, how much time a day do you need to spend privately? I can't answer that. But for myself, anything less than an hour feels like I'm being rushed. Most of us give the television at least that much time a day, so we can certainly give God that much time. Jesus said, go into your closet, meaning somewhere where you won't be disturbed, somewhere you can begin to identify with your alone time with the Lord. Mary found a spot at Jesus' feet. So this place that you select to be the place where you pray, this is the place or the room where you will begin to identify with the place where you lie at Jesus' feet. Another thing that will fight Satan back is remembering what this is for. It's to engage in a personal relationship with God. This is not so much about getting needs met, although your needs will be met. But that's not really what this is about. God can meet your needs without you praying, but he chooses to do it this way for other reasons. He wants you engaged in a relationship with him. That's what this is about. Remember that that's what this is about. Make sure that your Bible is with you because this gets into how God speaks back to us. But with that, get a notebook just for you to scratch down stuff that you feel like God is showing you or jot down some questions for God or requests for needs for yourself and other people. And then put a date next to it. Every time you add something to the little notebook, just put a date there every time you write anything down. But do all of your writing on the front of the page, the right page of the notebook, leaving the left side blank. And as you continue doing this each day, reading the Bible, listening to God, seeing God act on your behalf, getting the answers to your questions, getting the needs met, record all of that stuff down on the left side, parallel to the original prayer. Now this leads us to a very important question. We've been dodging it up until now. If prayer is both speaking and listening to God, then how do we listen to God? Well, folks, I just want to set this straight right now. I can't speak for anybody else but myself. I have never audibly heard the voice of God. I've never heard God's voice audibly. I've never had a vision where Jesus was standing in front of me and saying, Hi, Josh, I want to tell you something that has never happened. There's a lot of people out there seeing all kinds of stuff. There's people at YouTube. Jesus showed me this. Jesus told me that. I heard his voice. I saw his face. And then when you hear their message, it's the most convoluted garbage that completely contradicts the word of God. It is absolute nonsense. And if they're not making this up, they're listening to a demon's what they're doing. Now, am I saying that God won't give someone a vision that he won't speak to somebody audibly? No, I'm not going to put God in a box and say what he will and won't do. I'm just saying that in my life, he's never talked to me audibly. He's never shown up in my face. I have had some dreams, but they were personal, intimate things about my own personal life. It wasn't some grand revelation about the future. It was just God reaching into my mind through a dream to comfort me about something that I was concerned about. Sometimes he will use a dream to bring to my attention something that I need to be thinking about that I hadn't been thinking about before. Stuff like that. But it's usually personal, intimate things. There's not some grand revelation about the future because all of that's in the Bible, folks. I'm not saying that he hasn't done it with other people, but I'm just saying he's never done it with me. God does use signs in a person's life that won't mean anything to them unless they're reading the Bible. So God speaks primarily through the Bible, like the example I gave earlier about the sparrows. 
God was letting me know, Josh, I've got this situation totally under control. Don't worry about anything. Now, I didn't hear those words audibly, but he might as well had. Because that morning I read about God not allowing a single sparrow to fall to the ground without the father's consent. I saw two sparrows that day. And then somebody walked into that restaurant that I was not prepared for, but God had already told me in advance, I'm in control. It's okay. That's the way God primarily speaks to us. Sometimes we have a very tough decision to make, very tough decision. And we take it to God in prayer and it is complex. There are so many details. We can't even begin to get it all out there. We lay it on the table and then we get in the Bible. Sometimes the Bible will just tell us to trust God and he'll handle it. Sometimes we'll find something that directly applies to our situation and we'll know exactly what to do after reading the verse in the Bible that applies to our situation. Sometimes we'll read that verse years ago, forget all about it, and God will bring it to our mind. He'll bring it into our memory. That's the way it works. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault finding, and it will be given him. That means God will give you the wisdom through any decision, through any circumstance, and you'll know exactly what to do. And if you don't know what to do and you're trying to do your best, God will be guiding your footsteps. This also applies to your understanding of the Bible. There's people out there, like Bill Cosby said about Theo, you're afraid your brain is going to explode and ooze out your ear if you don't study. Folks, a lot of Christians that are that way about the Bible. They're afraid to touch it. They feel like if they read the wrong verse, they're going to blow up half the planet. I don't know where this fear comes from. Uh, I had a certain fear of being bored before I started reading the Bible. But once I got into it, I remember asking God, first of all, Lord, you're going to have to explain this to me because I'm not smart enough to get this. Second of all, you're going to have to keep me interested in it because I'm into video games and movies and reading the Bible is just not something I'm into. But I know that I need it because you said I need it. And I want to be able to hear you. I want to be able to know exactly what you're doing in my life at all times. I want to know how to trust you. I want to be able to ask you a question, open that book, and find the answers to it. And folks, it has been one big adventure after another ever since. Answering questions no pastor would have answered. Answering questions that I've not heard anybody else address. I'll give you an example. I've always been a cat lover, but there was an individual cat named Smokey that was very special to me because I got him when I was in third grade, and he was just a kitten then, and he lived for almost 20 years. So he was like a member of the family. And as he got older, I began to get concerned as a Christian. I thought, you know, Lord, I've never really heard anyone address what happens to animals when they die. And the few, there's a few people out there who have the audacity to talk about it, and I don't like what they're saying. They're saying that, that animals just cease to exist, that they just go back to the dirt. Is that true, God? And if that's true, then why love them now? And uh, I just need to know what your viewpoint is on this, God, and I'll never forget. This is how God speaks to us, folks. Listen to this. I remember asking God that question. God, what is the truth? Do our pets go to heaven when they die? I can't ask any pastors. I'm asking you. Where do they go? And I remember it was shortly after asking that question that Smokey was on my chest. His face was about six inches from mine. This was a routine that he went through for a while. And I just remember there being a connection there. He was looking right into my eyes, purring real loudly, and I was petting him. 
And then there was this moment of clarity and I just, and I looked at him and I just said, Lord, I've always heard that animals don't have souls and yet it sure appears to me that there's a soul behind those eyes. There's a consciousness there. This isn't just a robot. He's a living thing. And God, there's, we're sharing a moment here. He loves me and I love him. God, if this animal ceases to exist, that would imply that I'm capable of loving something more than you, God. And that doesn't make any sense. So I got my Bible out and I started reading it and searching for answers for that question. I started in Genesis, got my Strong's out, looked at every place in the Bible that had anything to do with animals. First of all, I found out that the fact that animals don't have souls is a lie. They do have souls. In the original Hebrew of Genesis chapter 1, the creation scenario, both man and animal are both given a soul. Now, it's not the same. Man has a man's soul and animals have an animal soul, but they do have a soul. And if you want to hear this whole drawn out explanation of how I found out that animals do go to heaven, I've got a video at YouTube. It's also at the blog. It's called, Yes, Animals Do Go to Heaven When They Die. It's a pretty long video. I made it because I found out some things that blew me away. It's all in the scripture and it's right there in black and white to anybody who has eyes to see if they're just reading it and God showed me the scripture. See, folks, Christians suffer a great deal because they rely too much on their knowledge of preacher talk rather than their personal relationship with God through prayer and Bible reading. And this whole animals in heaven example is a great example. Christians agonize in ignorance because most preachers don't talk about it. But if you ask God about it and read the Bible, the answer pops out all over the place. Well, Josh, I've read the whole Bible and I don't see it. That's because you don't pray about what you're reading. Ahem. Well, Josh, I pray all of the time. And my spirit has never said to me, that's because you don't read the Bible while you pray. Prayer without reading the Bible is handicapped because the Bible is God's primary means of speaking back to you when you pray. If you're using your own feelings and gut instincts, that's you. You're talking to yourself. You're not talking to God. And you can usually see examples of this, folks, when you hear of Christians say, well, I prayed about my marriage of 20 years. I'm not happy in this marriage anymore. And I prayed about it. And uh, I feel like God wants me to be happy. So I'm going to divorce my spouse and, uh, get with this other person that I've already been seeing anyway. God wants me to be happy. He's answered my prayers. I bet you weren't reading a Bible while you were praying about that. Likewise, you can be reading a Bible, not praying, and then guess what happens there? Then you start interpreting the Bible to fit what you want it to say rather than what it actually says. And I've seen examples of that over and over again. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you're truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. And if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So if you're living in the Bible, which means you're not just reading it, you're all over the place in it. You're swimming in it. And you're asking God about everything you're reading. And it's okay to be stupid. It's okay to be ignorant. It's okay to say, God, some of this is over my head. That's okay. God's placing it in a little file in your brain and he's going to bring it up maybe years later and it's all going to make sense. But most of the time, he'll actually maneuver your hand through the Bible. One of the things that I like doing is just reading the whole thing. I'll just start in Matthew and I'll just read a few pages every day. 
It's amazing that the timing, I mean, you would, I mean, the Bible was written 2000 years ago and I'm just going from Matthew to Revelation. Then I'll start in Genesis. And yet somehow, coincidentally, I'll just happen to read something on a day that I need very badly on that day. Just like I was telling you earlier about the sparrow thing. That wasn't random reading. I was reading a plan. Boy, what timing, huh? And when you get a Bible out and start reading, you can just say, okay, I'm going to read Matthew. God, what's this about? Uh, I'm going to read this first chapter. Ask him questions. And if he doesn't give you an answer right up front, just keep reading. He'll get you the answer. Sometimes, sometimes you'll, you'll have a question about a verse you're reading, and God's answer is on the next page. Sometimes the answer shows up a day later. Like, well, why did God wait a whole day? Because you needed the answer then more than you do today. And that's the way it works. I love this book. You know, 20 years ago, everybody was talking about UFOs and aliens, kind of like they are today. But, uh, of course, it wasn't devoted to on Discovery Channel and History Channel like it, like it is now. But the problem was, is I was watching that stuff and I was thinking, you know, God, something's going on here. Uh, a lot of Christians like to just poo-poo it as though this is like National Enquirer BS. But there's something really going on here, isn't there? And I have no idea what it is. Thank God for Genesis chapter 6, for some verses in First and Second Thessalonians about the Antichrist, and Chuck Missler for doing an exhaustive commentary on the return of the Nephilim, Genesis chapter 6. And I've talked about that in a podcast that I did called Solving the UFO Mystery and the Alien Abduction Phenomena. It was published in 2008. I'm thinking about doing an update. Didn't get this from church. I got it from reading the Bible and praying. I was led to, you'll be led to pastors. I mean, you don't have to avoid pastors. Uh, you'll find the ones that, that seem to fit your character best of all. God will use them, but don't completely trust any pastor. Every pastor that I have ever listened to is it, is they're, they're wrong about at least one thing. Every pastor out there has at least one blind spot. And I think God sets it up that way so that we will never completely 100% trust any man. He wants us in the Bible to verify everything. I'm sure I've got a blind spot somewhere. I don't know what it is. If I did, it wouldn't be a blind spot. Be interesting when I get to heaven and say, hey, God, what? where was I wrong? Of course, he'll probably show me about 20 or 30 blind spots. But uh, prayer is speaking to God and listening to God. You speak and listen to him all throughout the day. And you try, you want to set a time, at least an hour, to just sit somewhere and read a Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you haven't done this, what's really fun is when you devote a whole day to this. You get somewhere, nobody's going to bother you, and you're just going to read and pray all day. Now, to people who've never done that, they think, My, that, what? How in the world could you read and pray all day? Folks, try it. Because you're not entertaining yourself. God is in the room. He will speak to you in your heart. You will hear him, not audibly. But to me, that makes it even more cool, the fact that it's not audibly. He's talking to me in my heart. And I find scripture that relates to what I'm talking to him about. I keep absorbing the word. This is what Christianity is all about. That's what prayer is all about. It's an intimate relationship. One of the things I said to God not too long ago, and I couldn't say it without crying, I said, you know, God, there's a lot of things wrong with my life, but there's one thing that I know I can depend on. At any moment of the day, day or night, I don't ever have to worry about being too embarrassed or too ashamed to come to you with whatever it is I'm facing because I know you've already cleaned me. 
you love me just as I am. You recognize all of my faults, but you never stop loving me. You don't sit up there with your arms folded. Well, I'm mad at you, Josh. I'm not talking to you today. I don't ever have to worry about God doing that. Unless I'm living in sin, but usually when people are living in sin, they're not wanting to talk to God anyway, because as soon as they do, they're going to be convicted about what they're doing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that we can approach our God at any moment of any time of the day. And there's something wonderful about waking up at three o'clock in the morning. Maybe I'm disturbed about some dream I had and I can just say, God, you know all about that dream I just had. What was that all about? And if God wants to, he'll, he'll wake me up and I'll get up and start reading the Bible because he doesn't want me to go back to sleep. Most of the time I go back to sleep. Most of the time. But that's what prayer is. It is a relationship. You are speaking to God. He is listening live and he speaks back. Usually quietly, softly in your heart, using the scripture that you've read, using the thoughts that he's placed into your mind before and in your heart. It is a warm, loving, exciting adventure. And it gets more and more exciting the longer this relationship progresses. Folks, I don't know how to end this podcast. I could talk about this forever, so I'm just going to stop it right there. Uh, I pretty much made my point. Uh, we'll continue in the book of Luke, starting right where we left off. Until then, folks, we are out of here. Take care.